0: And welcome to Bad Axe Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Blinka, and this is our co-host.
1: Hey, I'm Aaron.
0: Today we are doing a local case.
1: Yay!
0: It's a bit older than the cases I normally pick, but I couldn't pass up the opportunity to share a Houston story. Absolutely. I came across this case by accident, and it caught my eye because one of the sisters looked familiar to me. We actually live pretty close to where this double murder happened. So this story really hits home. It took place in 1984 before I was born. So I'm not sure why I thought I recognized the victim. Maybe I just saw her picture somewhere.
1: Yeah, that could be. I don't know.
0: Maybe I secretly know one of her relatives somehow.
1: That also could be.
0: But I guess we'll never know.
1: We'll never know. <laughs> unless, unless they're a listener.
0: Unless they're a listener and they contact us and say, hey, Danielle, remember me?
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You've
0: been to my house, you weirdo. Right. Not during COVID.
1: Yes, not during COVID.
0: All right. Well, enough of my theories. Let's dive straight into this case today. Our story starts in the Heights neighborhood of Houston. Today, the Heights is known as a hotspot for art, music, beer, and delicious cuisine. It features historic, tree-lined streets punctuated with bungalows and old Victorian-style homes, along with quite a few modern townhomes. Its vibe is distinctly hipster, though that's evolving as trends change. But, I have to say, if you want to spend the day drinking craft beer, petting strangers' dogs, and complimenting beards, go to the Heights. There you go. However, the neighborhood has changed quite a bit through the years. In the 70s and 80s, parts of the Heights weren't so fancy. The area actually went through a brief decline, so the charming historic streets weren't as safe as they once were. Many of the trendy areas today were once low rent havens for artists, musicians, actors, and other people who were part of a quote, counterculture, unquote, movement. Although artists took advantage of the low rents to take up residence and flourish, Drugs became a real problem in the Heights in the 70s and 80s. A lot of people in the area were struggling, which invited more crime. Back in 1984, crime soared across all of Houston. Like other major U.S. cities, Space City was in the midst of a crime wave, including murder. The streets were even home to some serial killers.
1: That's scary stuff, man. You hate to see the serial killers.
0: Yeah, in fact, and I actually just now learned how close this killer has come to the places I have lived, but way before I lived there, oh, yeah. uh, the serial killer Dean Corle, was fr- from a similar area that I'm from, but also lived in the Heights. Oh, wow. Yeah, so Dean Coral has murdered at least 28 victims. Jesus. I mean, he's gone now. This happened a while back.
1: Well, that's good.
0: But during the 60s, he lived in the Heights and owned a candy store. Jesus. Yeah, and that's what earned him his nickname, the Candy Man. Yeah. I knew that people called him that, but I did not realize it was because he owned a candy store. And he actually gave out free candy to kids in the area.
1: How he would lure his victims, Uh, I imagine.
0: Kind of, because he killed teenage boys and young men. So, kind of, but not quite. I'm sure some of the people he killed may have known him through the candy thing. I don't know for sure, though, because I haven't really done a lot of stuff about Dean Corll i've seen information about him because you know i we live in this area yeah i mean
1: look teenagers and young men can get lured by candy just as much as little kids though
0: for sure
1: you you give me some good candy i mean i'll I'll, i get lured by
0: candy all the time
1: yeah i'll be like what's up and then you
0: know if he murdered me so if you stop hearing from us aaron and i have both been lured by candy (laughs) apparently that's all it takes Like, I know to say no to the puppies, but candy, (laughs) I don't know. I will have to say, as a small child, I did find a bag of candy in a mall. My mom had taken me to the mall, and I had run away, and it was hiding in the clothes because I was a bad child. And there was actual gumballs, is what the candy was, and they were in a Ziploc bag. Like, a bunch of them. Like, a suspicious amount. And I found it underneath a rack of clothing and I knew I wasn't supposed to eat candy that I had just found somewhere. (laughs) So I hid it so that my parents couldn't take it away from me. And uh, luckily I did get caught because who knows? I mean, it probably wasn't poisoned, but all the red flags pointed to someone left poison candy in the mall for a child to eat. Right. Um, luckily for me, I'm a saverer. And <laughs> so I was saving the candy for a more appropriate time.
1: And then your parents found it.
0: Yeah. And then my, my mom was like, what is this? <laughs> and I was just like, what are you talking about? That is some regular candy that I, I bought that. <laughs> some just normal candy that I already had. What are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, my lies were not good. <laughs> we're not good lies. <laughs> yeah, so Dean Coral was out here giving candy just a couple of decades before our murder is about to happen. The reason why I wanted to include that bit was to say that the Heights neighborhood is not a stranger to dangerous men. But I doubt Wyline and Lily Kennedy were worried about the fellas in their quirky neighborhood back in March 1984. 33 year old Wyline had rented a blue and white bungalow in the 600 block of East 12th Street. It was just around the corner from their father's house, which probably made them feel safer. Wylene loved fashion and had a unique sense of style. She owned a vintage clothing store and often modeled her own merchandise. She also worked as an interior designer. Her family called her a free spirit, and she seemed to live life to the fullest. Wylene definitely fits into the artsy vibes of the Heights, so I imagine she fit in really well.
1: Yeah, sounds like she would.
0: I've seen pictures of her, and she seems like the coolest person ever. (laughs) Like, just being real, I was like, oh my god, who is this lady? Right. I'm at the vintage clothing store, too. I was just, I was wanting to be best friends with her.
1: That's your jam.
0: It's my jam, people. I'm a little chonky for vintage clothes, though. But I'll still go in and try to find something. Meanwhile, her sister, 23-year-old Lily, was a bit quieter than Wylene. She earned a reputation for having a big heart. Kind and caring, Lily loved her family and friends. However, she'd been going through a rough patch. While going through a divorce, she'd lost her job and data entry, so she'd been going through a period of unemployment. Fortunately, she had big sister Wylene to take her in while she got back on her feet. The sisters lived together in the bungalow like two peas in a pod. Although the Kennedy sisters came from your average, hardworking family, Wylene allegedly had a bit of a secret. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, though she made her living selling vintage clothes and decorating homes, friends say she had darker dealings as well. According to them, Wylene allegedly sold small amounts of narcotics, including marijuana, cocaine, and prescription pills. Later, police said that she did have drugs and paraphernalia in her home, so it's possible these rumors were true. Despite this possibility, the sisters lived a bright, happy lifestyle filled with family gatherings, laughter, and hope for the future. On the night of March 4th, 1984, Lily went to a neighbor's home to see if they had an ace bandage she could use for her knee. She'd sprained it and hoped the bandage would help it heal. The neighbor couldn't help her out, but later they were able to tell police that everything seemed fine that night. There was no indication of what was to come. Later that night, or sometime overnight, Lily and Wylene were home alone in the bungalow when a knock sounded at the door. No one knows who answered it, but it was probably Wylene. Not only was she the one renting the house, but authorities say the killer targeted her. She knew the man outside on the stoop, so she let him in. Once inside, the intruder turned on the sisters. He pulled out a gun and shot 23-year-old Lily in the back of the head at close range, execution style. She died immediately. Then, the intruder turned his rage on 33-year-old Wylene. He stuffed a rag into her mouth, probably to muffle her screams. He tortured her, stabbing her in the neck at least four times. He also beat her, striking her on the head. At some point during the assault, the attacker shot Wylene in the arm. During the attack, he also sexually assaulted her, before finally ending her life. When he was finished, the killer stomped through the women's home. As he searched for something and gathered a few random objects into a quilt, he tracked blood throughout the rooms. With the house ransacked, the man took his bundle and a bloody couch cushion and left the home in the early morning hours.
1: That was, you know, that's very disturbing. It seems like he's very callous about, you know, what he's doing. That's, you know, it's that's not cool.
0: The next day, which was March 5th, Wileen and Lily planned to take their father to a doctor's appointment. When they hadn't arrived by around 8 a.m., their 63-year-old father, Jack Kennedy, began to worry. His daughters would never forget about him, so something must be wrong. At about 8.30 a.m., Jack finally decided he needed to check on his girls. They lived nearby, so he made the short walk around the corner to their house. When he got there, he noticed something amiss right away the door to his daughter's home sat slightly ajar, but who left it open? Well,
1: anytime the door is slightly ajar like that, it's never, there's never a good answer to that. It's, it's always going to be something nefarious.
0: Yeah. I feel like if anyone ever comes over here and my door is open at all, a hundred percent something is wrong.
1: Oh yeah. Like, like I am
0: crazy about shutting and locking doors.
1: You're very meticulous about it. And like, honestly, mm-hmm. if there was a door hanging out open, I would be like, that'd be a major red flag. Yeah. Like, like
0: I will not even walk down to like the curb without locking the door door behind me i don't
1: know like, i know it yeah
0: in my mind i'm convinced there could be like a murderer or a robber hiding behind like a tree or a trash can i don't know how they know i'm going outside
1: yeah. they could just be <laughs> watching you stalking exactly. you i mean it's, it's entirely possible i'm not I mean, letting
0: people slip in my house no. no
1: you're not going down for that
0: definitely i feel no. like their dad must have known that like he has to realize it can't be one of the girls who left the door open
1: right yeah totally especially not when they're late and missing appointments and stuff like Mm -hmm. just all of that added together equals bad things for real it equals bad acts.
0: always there with the bad acts aaron
1: (laughs) hey i'm here i'm here to help
0: (laughs) so their father pushed the door the rest of the way open and stepped into a horror movie both of his girls lay dead on the living room floor covered in blood Wylene lay on her side, partially naked, her mouth gagged. She'd received a gunshot wound on her arm and multiple stab wounds to her throat. Lily lay in a pool of blood with that single gunshot wound to her head. Blood splatter covered the room. Jack immediately called for help, and authorities rushed to the scene. When they examined the home, they found no forced entry. Based on the position of the deadbolt, police became convinced one of the sisters let the killer inside. Because of that trail of bloody footprints, police concluded the killer had also searched the home, stalking from room to room, ransacking drawers and furniture. But the crime wasn't a burglary. Valuables remained in place, including a large sum of money in Wylene's purse. However, the killer took something weird from the scene. That bloody couch cushion.
1: Yeah, why did he take that?
0: It's not completely clear, but it's possible, according to some of these reports, that the killer may have believed that there was something in the couch cushion, like maybe drugs or like paraphernalia or money Mm. hidden in the couch cushion so that people couldn't find it. So there is a possibility that that could be the reason why they took the couch cushion because they didn't leave with it. And we'll see that in a moment. They ended up dropping it. So it's not like they carried it home because it had like DNA or something on it. Also, this was 1984, so, they the, weren't really yeah, they weren't DNA. really worrying about DNA. Yeah,
1: makes sense. The, like, the, the idea that it had drugs or paraphernalia makes a lot of sense. You know, it could be, like, a, a hiding spot for a stash. Yeah, yeah, I feel
0: like it must have been kind of common knowledge back then, but it would not it would not have occurred to me. I would never hide something in the couch cushion because I would for sure mess it up.
1: Yeah, well, that would make sense, too, yeah. I mean, Yeah,
0: because you, like, sit on it. Right, yeah. You sleep on it. The cat does unfortunate things to it. I would not want to put something in a couch cushion. Indeed. So let's go back to those shoe prints. Since the shoe prints were fairly unique, police documented them to try to match them to the killer. Then they followed the prints outside. So we have like a trail leading from the home. And from there, at some point, the bloody footprints became muddy front prints on the sidewalk leading from the crime scene. These footprints led from the crime scene to that missing couch cushion, and then they just disappeared.
1: That's weird. I Mm -hmm. mean, like, where would he go?
0: Well, it's possible that he wiped his shoes off, and I will say the couch Mm -hmm. cushion was covered in blood, so it's conceivable that the murderer realized they were leaving a trail and then, like, maybe finished wiping their shoes off on the cushion. Like, that's not in the report officially, but it just something I've wondered about. Because I do think it's highly suspicious that the footprints stop. That makes sense though. Yeah, I mean, they also could have taken off their shoes.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense too. I mean, if I realized I was leaving bloody footprints behind, I probably would do exactly that.
0: Although, would you leave bloody footprints behind?
1: I don't know. I'm not a murderer. I'm, I'd probably be pretty bad at it, so yeah, yeah. probably.
0: <laughs> Isn't it like the best to wear socks, but then you can slip and fall all in the blood?
1: Yeah, that too.
0: But I think that socks are like the thing that doesn't leave prints, although definitely don't commit murders. Although authorities collected fingerprints from the home, they were also a bust. All of the fingerprints belonged to the sisters. After a thorough search of the home, police failed to turn up a murder weapon or any evidence pointing to a suspect. Leads were drying up fast. However, they did score a big piece of evidence, although they didn't realize it at the time. Wylene had semen inside her from the sexual assault, which authorities collected. In 1984, the fluids were useless, but the sample would prove instrumental in solving the case. Police also learned something else suspicious. Strangely, someone had shot up the house just a week before the murders took place. He drove by in a pickup truck and fired off several rounds. The shooting scared Lily so badly, she made plans to move out. Could that have any bearing on the slings? Police looked into it, but couldn't find a connection.
1: I mean, I could see there being a connection with that for sure. I mean, that that would freak me out for sure.
0: Yeah, I feel like this is a mystery that's never really addressed because... Once they eventually solve the case, I don't think that the person who killed them drove by the house and shot it up. But to me, it's one of the more compelling points in that we have this drive-by shooting that seems so intentional. And yet there doesn't seem to be any indication who did it.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Now, I will say we are just about to learn this. There were two suspects that may have been responsible for the shooting, but there's no evidence that they are. So don't blame them. But we're about to learn of two potential suspects that may have a reason to fire at the house.
1: All right, let's do it.
0: To narrow it down, police realized that the killer spent more time on Wileen. so they decided that she was probably the target this entire time, which makes sense. It does. So they started looking at people closest to her, but at first they were having trouble identifying a suspect. While talking to strangers, police firmed up the timeline of the crimes. One woman told officers that she woke from a dead sleep at around 6 a.m. from two loud thumps. Police thought these might be gunshots. Another man reported seeing a white or Hispanic man walk away from the crime scene at about that same time, so about 6 a.m. This man was carrying a quilt with items wrapped inside it. Like all of us, the neighbor was immediately suspicious.
1: Absolutely.
0: I mean, he doesn't even know there's a murder yet, but this neighbor is so on it. That he sees a dude with this quilt and is like, mm mm. Yeah, no.
1: that's a red flag.
0: So he called out to the man and stopped him, like the hero that we all need. And the neighbor asked, What are you doing? Absolutely. The strange man replied, Why? Do I look suspicious?
1: Yeah, you look suspicious.
0: That's exactly what the neighbor said. He said, <laughs> You look like a burglar. <laughs> <laughs> the strange man at this point acted really embarrassed and said he wasn't a burglar, but that he'd had a fight with his girlfriend and she threw him out with the quilt.
1: Hmm. Likely I know. story, man.
0: So obviously you're still suspicious, but I feel like if you're any reasonable person, you have to let this guy walk on, right?
1: Yeah, probably. It's
0: a plausible story. And what are you going to do? Punch him in the face until the cops come? Like, <laughs> I don't know what the other option is here.
1: Well, that's what you would do if you're a Batman. But for the rest of yeah. us, you would probably let him walk on, yeah.
0: Exactly. So, the strange man leaves, and when the neighbor talks to police, police start wondering if that strange man could be the killer. With the help of the neighbor, the police made a composite sketch and released it to the media. The sketch gets them their first real suspect.
1: Yay!
0: So, police get a call from a neighbor in the area saying that a known drug dealer who lives about a block away from Wylene's bungalow looks just like the sketch.
1: Yep, that's a good suspect.
0: When police go to talk to him, they find similar shoe impressions to the murder scene leading up to the house. Their suspect does resemble the sketch. Plus, he has drugs everywhere.
1: (laughs) That's suspicious. Like, they
0: were not playing when they said drug dealer. So, based on the descriptions of this, I don't want to say raid, because it was more like a probable cause visit, I guess. They found just all kinds of drug stuff.
1: Yeah, so he was going hard then.
0: Definitely. At this point the police are hoping that he's the killer, but either way they get him for drug possession. Yep. So they're able to arrest him and while he's in custody, they went ahead and put him in the lineup to see if the neighbor can recognize him. But he doesn't. Well,
1: that figures.
0: Yeah. So at this point the cops are not giving up though, he just seems too juicy. So they decide to give the drug dealer a lie detector test. Now this is 1984 and I think they were taking lie detector tests even more seriously than they are now. So they give him this test, and he passes the polygraph.
1: That's a good sign.
0: Yeah, so it's looking good for the drug dealer, not so much for, like, the cops solving the case. Indeed. Then the crime lab takes a look at those similar shoe prints and realizes they are not the same shoe at all.
1: Yeah, so it's not this guy.
0: Um, Yeah, well, finally, just to be sure, they tested ballistics and were able to rule out his gun. There you go. Yeah, so clearly he's not the man. I just want to point out, though, that what really impressed me about this whole situation is how awesome the police work was, though. Because when you start out, he looks like such an amazing suspect, but they used every single piece of evidence they could to clear him, Man. which I thought was really kick ass. Because we see so many of these shows where they're like, hey, it's this guy. Like, he's a drug dealer. He's evil. He fits the description. We're done.
1: Yeah, exactly. They just decide that they've got their guy and then they build the case around that Yeah. instead of letting the evidence take him exactly. to the killer.
0: Yeah. And, that's, and in this case, they follow the evidence. And I really appreciated that because he was able to just, like, be done. Yeah.
1: Really? I am
0: sure he went to jail for the drugs. Who knows?
1: Probably. So,
0: unfortunately, though, this turn of events did send the police back to the drawing board. Then Jack Kennedy, the father, comes forward with a potential suspect. His daughter, Lily, just recently got divorced. And her ex had threatened her.
1: That's a good suspect too.
0: Yeah. Now this is the person who I suspect too with the whole shooting up the house thing. I'm not saying he did it. I don't know this person's name. I don't know any situation around them. But if you had to pick someone who was going to shoot up the house, an ex who was angry, who was just like blowing off some steam, not okay, but it happens. That to me makes sense.
1: I could see it. It's definitely plausible.
0: Yeah. I definitely can understand too why the father suggested him. So the police take the lead and they go to question this ex. However, they were quickly able to rule him out because not only does he look nothing like the suspect description, he'd also recently undergone surgery and the procedure removed two vertebrae from his back so he could barely move around on crutches.
1: Yeah, so he's not the killer. Yeah,
0: there's literally no way he could do it.
1: Yeah, that's a good alibi though.
0: I know, right? Like what a time. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: What a time. <laughs>
1: like, I had surgery and I can't move. I know. He's okay. like literally
0: like going into that day. He was thinking, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And they were like, we think you did this murder. And he said, wow, this surgery is the best thing that ever happened. I'm not going to jail. There
1: you <laughs> Points. go. Points. <laughs> Points. Yes.
0: Also, I feel like he seems less suspicious anyway because the killer focused so much on Wileen. And I feel like if you hated your ex-wife, wouldn't you go after her the yeah. most?
1: You would think so, man.
0: Definitely. But Lily wasn't the only one who had a romantic life. Lane also had an on-again, off-again boyfriend named Jack, which is weird because that's her dad's name.
1: That is weird.
0: He had a criminal record for drug charges, so he wasn't exactly squeaky clean. Although I have to say, a lot of these situations act like, oh, he had drug charges. Oh my God, red flags. Are they? Yeah. Because in the 80s, didn't like everyone have drug charges? Like we weren't <laughs> alive when this crime happened. Yeah. But based on descriptions given to us from the 70s and 80s, was like not everyone on the drugs? <laughs>
1: That's how they make it seem on I TV. know, right? That's I've, how they make it seem.
0: Maybe. I don't know. This it's not like, a documentary. Yeah, it's
1: like in the 80s, everyone was on cocaine. That's what they yeah. thats what they would have you believe.
0: Well, also, too, like, if, if they're being really strict about marijuana, I feel like I don't really consider marijuana to be a drug at this point. No. I don't think that anyone does, even though I know it's... I mean, it's not legal yet. It needs to be legal everywhere, but it's not legal yet. So we're cool and we're kosher and we stay away from it. But, like... I don't think anyone really thinks of it as a drug.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean that
0: So maybe he just smoked some weed and then they were like, boom, charges.
1: That's very possible. We don't know.
0: Yep. Anyway, please start looking harder at this new Jack as a potential suspect. And when they found a voicemail from Jack demanding money that Wylan owed him, they became super suspicious.
1: Super suspicious.
0: Yeah. So they go talk to Jack and he tells them he had nothing to do with it, which obviously he's going to say that if they found him and he just immediately said, you got me.
1: Well, that would be easy. I would be super suspicious of that. (laughs) Yeah, that too.
0: So police gave Jack a polygraph and that came back clean. They also had the neighbor look at him in the lineup, and the neighbor said, it's not the guy. So at this point, they're feeling pretty confident that Jack is not the suspect. So they let him go, too.
1: Yeah, the police are striking out.
0: Yeah, well, in a good way. Because, I mean, it's hard to find suspects, but the fact that they're actually processing these suspects fairly quickly and very thoroughly and not railroading any of them, that's a point.
1: That's a point. You're right, but Yeah,
0: I feel like that's one thing that's hard about these kinds of cases is it's definitely better to, like, wait than for someone to go to jail for something they didn't do. Totally. Okay, so the police are back at square one, and at that point, the case goes cold. The women's family suffers for years not knowing who killed their loved ones. Lily and Lane's murders went unsolved for decades. Then, in 2009... Remember, the case took place in 1984... In 2009, cold case detectives reopened the case, hoping the biological evidence from Wyling's rape kit would finally help solve it. They sent the semen to the lab for analysis and uploaded the results in CODIS. However, they didn't get a match. Lily and Wyling's killer must not be in the system. Five more years passed with the case ice cold. Then the 30th anniversary of the crime rolled around in 2014. This is when stuff starts to heat up. All right. Why and Lily's niece, Jackie Elliott, who was just 11 at the time of the murder, called the Houston Police Department to ask about the cold case. She hadn't forgotten her beloved aunts and wanted to make sure they got justice. Good for her. For sure. I feel like people discount how important dedicated families are in these cases because so often it's just a family member who's not giving up, that actually gets progress made.
1: Yeah, I mean, squeaky wheel gets the grease and all that, right?
0: And I think it's hard to conceptualize how many cases that police have. And it makes sense that some of these cold cases just fall to the wayside because if there's no movement or no new evidence, it's really hard to just miraculously solve it.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: So Jackie gets in touch with Sergeant Paul Motard, who told her that he was the detective on her aunt's cold case he decided to look more closely at the case starting from scratch. Then something weird happened. And this is just kind of like a fate situation because it kind of comes out of the blue. A defense attorney from Indiana called Detective Motard to report his client had information about the Kennedy murder. So this is like a straight up another state and everything.
1: Wow, that's lucky.
0: So the detective goes to Indiana to hear the suspect's story and find out what he knows. The informant tells him that Edmund Deegan is the man they want. He says that on the day of the murders, Edmund Deegan showed up at his house behaving erratically, like he might be high. He had a bundle of items with him, including a quilt like the one from the crime scene. Deegan borrowed a hammer from the informant, which he used to bust up a gun he'd been carrying. He also started a fire and began burning items, including a woman's wallet and a knife. When all of this burning is done, he buried the quilt in the informant's yard. Then, Deegan told the informant that something went wrong that night and he killed two sisters. Detective Motard knows right away that the informant has inside information. Some of the details provided weren't in the press and only the killer or someone who was close to the murders would know about them. So he starts believing that this informant might be telling the truth. Makes sense. Then, he pulls a photo of Edmund Deegan from the time of the crime, and he's shocked, because the picture looks just like that sketch.
1: That's even better.
0: He started looking for a connection between Deegan and the sisters and found a clear link. Deegan sold wholesale vintage clothes, and Wylene bought things for her store from him.
1: Yeah, there it is.
0: Yep. Also, Deegan had a record with charges of aggravated robbery, making a terroristic threat, assaulting a family member, and drug possession. Although I will tell you, some of those charges came after the crime. In fact, he pleaded guilty to two counts of aggravated robbery with a deadly weapon in 1985, which was just one year after the murders. For that crime, he had received a sentence of 13 years in prison, but it's unclear if he actually served the full term. At this point, he is the ultimate prime suspect.
1: Yeah, he's looking pretty good for it.
0: Yeah. Now, police had actually questioned Deegan at the time of the murders, but apparently they did not identify him as a suspect. But now detectives are determined to take a hard look. Finding 57-year-old Deegan was easy enough. Detective Motard located him at his family home in River Oaks, where he lived with his mother. Now, for those of you who are not from Houston, River Oaks and the Heights are very close to each other. So this is not like a huge distance that he would have to go. Nope. In the three decades since the crime, he'd strung together odd jobs and basically coasted through life just staying there in his mom's house. When police approached him, Deegan acted calm and casual like he had no reason to worry. The detective brought Deegan in for questioning because they thought, you know, let's talk to this guy. Yep. He told the police he knew y and last saw her a week before the murders. However, he claims he never had sex with her and he denied any connection to the crimes. Now, this is a huge boon for police because they know they had DNA. So they're thinking if Deegan is their guy and he matches that DNA, they have him on video saying that he never, ever had sex with Wylene. Mm -hmm. I actually get confused when some of these people walk into this trap at this point. Uh, Because this interview is taking place around 2014. So this is not that long ago that he's being interviewed. And if you watch enough true crime, obviously don't lie to the police and be bad. But they always have these guys swear up and down. Oh, I was never in her house. I've never had sex with her. I've never had her in my car. And then if they have like one drop of anything or one fingerprint, you are going down for that because they know that you lied and you're obviously suspicious as hell.
1: Yep. Yep. That's true. I mean, yeah, you got to be careful with your stories, y'all.
0: Also, don't kill people. But I feel like a lot of these murderers do not watch any crime shows.
1: Yeah, they. they clearly, you would think
0: they would, though.
1: Yeah, they don't do any kind of research.
0: They really don't. I mean, it's weird. Yeah. I mean, I guess we should be happy about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Like for a crime of passion, it makes sense that you're not doing research about murder. But I mean, if yeah. you're if you're like planning out a murder for somebody, like you would think you'd do some research about it, right?
0: Or don't, you know what? I just read a study that you should not do any research. And why don't you just call the cops and tell them what you're planning? That also, I heard advice.
1: Yeah. Like the cops are going to like, start (laughs) angrily like tweeting at us or some shit. They're going to be like, stop giving the killers ideas. We want the murders to be easy to solve.
0: Okay. So let's get back to this interview. So he's just confirmed that he has not had sex with her. So police asked him for a DNA swab and Deegan gave it willingly. I do not think that he had a lawyer. Although, again, I'm still rooting for him to go to jail, but still. Yeah. Like, maybe ask for the lawyer if you know you did it.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: So, the lab, surprise, matched Deegan's DNA to the sample collected from Wylene's rape kit. And finally, authorities arrested 57-year-old Edmund Deegan on January 14th, 2015 on charges of capital murder. There you go. Yes. So I'm like, wow, capital murder. This is Texas. And we go hard on capital murder shit. There you go. We really do go hard on capital murder. And Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily support it. I feel like Texas needs to calm down. They need that Taylor Swift song that we can't afford to sing. But they do need, (laughs) need to calm it the hell down.
1: We can't even afford to sing one bar?
0: No, we can't. So anyway, Texas these the common tense. but for some reason that I don't understand, um, I still don't get it. I feel like this prosecutor, no offense to you, bud, but you're either lazy or you're somehow connected to this murderer. The prosecutor claimed that this case wasn't strong enough because the physical evidence didn't connect Deegan to Lily's murder. Now, I had some questions because first of all, there's literally sperm in Wylie, the rape victim, who has been murdered.
1: Yeah, like you can place him at the crime scene at the time of the yeah, murder. Yeah, exactly. Like, he
0: stole stuff and raped her and murdered her. Even if like Lily didn't exist in this scenario, that's still like a really bad murder.
1: Yeah, like I feel like you can you could convince a jury that like there yeah. weren't two killers that are sever- exactly
0: that was also my right. second argument. But like even taking Lily out of it, even if they only did the one murder with that DNA and all that went down, that's still that still qualifies technically as capital murder because it's in the. The murder in the commission of two other crimes. The burglary and the rape. Yeah. And so, like, legally, it wouldn't matter. But also, Lily is right next to her. They're literally almost touching each other. So we're supposed to believe that someone else killed Lily and then he killed Wylene? Right. That's ludicrous.
1: Oh, yeah, totally. I, I
0: feel like that's a decision for the jury. Regardless of what you, the prosecutor who knows his mom, obviously. Regardless of what you think. The jury should get to decide.
1: Yeah, the jury should get to decide. And honestly, like, m- the vast majority of juries are going to decide that, that the dude's guilty.
0: I feel like if 12 reasonable jurors look at the case and decide this is a weak case and we don't want to do it, then, like, okay, then I guess he goes free. But I would rather they do that than make a plea deal, which is what they did do.
1: That sucks.
0: Yeah, it's just I don't even... I When I heard that, I just... My brain just... Started blinking, (laughs) like surface light or something. Like needs a reset. What is going on?
1: You're like like does not compute.
0: Yeah, I was just like, okay. So how is the prosecutor related to his family? Because that's the only thing that makes sense. Like I'm not trying to trash this prosecutor, but seriously, tell us. Right, you you have to be local. If you hear this, can you just tell us why? Did you just not want to do it? Did you have too many cases to do? Did you just want something easy, like an easy day that day? Or did you know it? Did you know his mom? Which is my theory.
1: Well, I mean, if you have like hard physical evidence, like isn't that about as easy as it gets? Yeah though?
0: do you not do you not understand I mean, that there was semen in, in the victim? Like yeah. that's the part.
1: Right. I, I mean, I'm not a prosecutor, but like generally, whenever they have the physical evidence, is yeah. whenever they have the good case. You know I, what I exactly
0: mean? the good case. It's good case time. <laughs> I want. I feel like I need a chart that's like, all right, so this is where the semen was. In the crime, and then this is the DNA match, and, like, one plus one equals conviction. (laughs) Like, I don't understand why you're not Uh, even going to try this. Make
1: it some simple math for the jury. Yes,
0: and then, like, why not trick him after the plea deal? Because he ends up pleading guilty to killing Wileen and they just sort of, like, ignore Lily's murder. Okay, well, then, after he pleads guilty to Wileen's murder, then go to trial for Lily's and be like, he already pled guilty to the murder that was right next to this other murder. (laughs) Like... (laughs) Seriously, right? And even if, and also too, fun fact: even if somehow someone else did commit that murder, since he was involved in it's, the murder in general, it's it still, still counts. A crime, yeah. It still counts.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Okay, so, so he makes this plea deal that we don't support at the podcast, and he receives fifteen years in prison. Which I already was like, I don't think that's enough for what happened. It was a bad murder. Yeah, at least good. try to put more numbers on it. Yeah. You know?
1: Absolutely. I would think so, too.
0: However, he also will not serve the entire sentence because under Texas law, somehow, which makes no sense with all the things that I know about Texas law, under Texas law, criminals who committed crimes between 1977 and 1987 get credit for good behavior and you get automatically released, even if it doesn't matter what you do, like what you did to get in prison. You just get automatically released if you give have good behavior.
1: Wow. Jesus. That is...
0: Yeah. So...
1: Why, though? I mean... Like, I don't understand. Like, what... Um, why?
0: Yeah. So, because of good behavior, he'll be automatically released. And I heard two different dates. One of the dates that I found is 2024, which is still too early because that's, like, less than 10 years in prison. The other one was 2021, which feels like it's just mean.
1: Yeah, for real.
0: Yeah, he also came up for parole in 2017, which is like two years after he got put in the jail.
1: That's way too soon. I know, right? For, for, for murder.
0: For murder. He murdered two people. I know. And even though he only went down for the one, he raped, murdered, tortured. That was torture, was part of it. That's mm-hmm. what they said. That was from the get go, she was tortured and also burglarized her house. And he was going to serve like a, just a couple years.
1: Yeah, that's bullshit. Like,
0: okay. Which is weird to me because Texas will literally put, like, mentally ill and, like, mentally incapacitated and possibly innocent people to death. But this turd bucket is leaving the jail in, like, six or seven years or some stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, explain to me how that makes sense because I don't get it.
0: Yeah, we just want to know. And also, like, who does he know? (laughs) Because I feel like that's the only explanation for this. And I will say, allegedly, the house that he lived in was like a middle class house somehow in River Oaks. But those of you who are not from Houston, River Oaks is one of the really nice neighborhoods. And they were constantly screwing over the other neighborhoods. I'm not wrong about this. This is a huge complaint. They're constantly screwing over the other neighborhoods.
1: Yeah, River Oaks is the fancy part of town.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So don't sit here and try to tell us that this person's family doesn't know anyone. There you go. Okay, this somehow became a conspiracy podcast. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to come for us, but I'm not wrong about these things. All right, so although Deegan maintains his innocence, because he's a liar, authorities believe he went to the house that night to rob Wylene, not like just of money, but possibly of the whole drug stuff. And when she refused to give him anything, they think he shot her sister to scare her, and then just decided to murder her too.
1: Mm, That's a plausible theory, yeah?
0: Yeah, So, that's the case. I thought it was really interesting, and I really related to these girls, and I think it's really sad that, well, they were women, I think it's really sad that they got killed and that they did not really get justice, even though this guy is going to spend some time in prison. Yeah. But I just don't feel like they got justice at all.
1: I don't think so either. I mean, it's good that they found him. But at the same time, like, he, mm-hmm. d- he didn't. The, the yeah. punishment he received doesn't match up with the exactly.
0: crime. I feel like sometimes whenever these murderers go a long time not getting caught, then whenever they do get caught, everyone's kind of like, oh, well, they're already, like, they've been living in society. It's fine. Oh, oh it's an old murder. No one cares anymore. People care. I don't even know these two women, but I care. A lot that they don't get justice. And I think there's a lot of people who care. And people who listen to true crime in general. I know it seems like a creepy thing to do. But I think most of us genuinely care about what happens to the people in the stories. Not just that we're like consuming them as entertainment for gross reasons. I do think most people care. And I don't think that it's okay for people to let killers just skirt by Without being held accountable for whatever horrible thing they did. I agree. All right. I'm getting myself all worked up, people. I'm going to have to start a petition to, like, keep some of these bitches in jail. I don't think that's how that works, but...
1: We could try. I mean...
0: (laughs) Yeah. We're just like, no, no getting out for you. (laughs) All right, listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate all of you. We hope you enjoyed the story. For more exclusive content, go to our Patreon at Bad Axe Pod. We have a couple of episodes up already that have been collecting over the last couple of months that you can peruse. We also have Buy Me a Coffee at Bad Axe Pod if you'd like to support the show. Join us on Instagram and Facebook, especially Instagram at Bad Axe Pod. And if you have any comments or suggestions or feedback, we have an email account. You can send us an email today, badaxpod at gmail.com. We also have our website. I think you can guess the address. It's badxpod.com. We will see you next week with another new exciting story. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.